Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello everyone and welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 354 of the world's most dangerous podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson. I hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving. This is the post-Thanksgiving edition of the podcast and in a little bit I've got a discussion that I had with with John Majewski big Reds fan and I think you all will enjoy that one I'll leave that uh, for for later first we'll just go through the Reds news of the week and uh, again hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving if you are a subscriber at patreon.com slash redleg radio you also got a Thanksgiving uh, special edition of the podcast in your feeds yesterday or the day before and uh, so a lot of Reds content here this week. Uh, let it be known that I think I counted them up, and in the last 52 weeks, I think we're we've produced 72 podcasts, I believe. 72 podcasts. Uh, all but 12 of those have been uh, for everyone. For the uh, I guess it's actually more than that now. I think it's 76. I guess podcasts. Man, 76 podcasts for you all. 12 of those are just for the subscribers. The rest are, went out to everyone. And so, you know, I just even through the, the pandemic and the lockdown when we had no baseball for part of the season, we kept churning them out here. So I say that as a preface, too. We're going to do a, a show next week. Then we're going to take just a, a brief hiatus here on the podcast. More about that, more about that later. Uh, right now, let's talk about the Reds. The Cincinnati Reds, still kind of a, a slow offseason so far. And... This week, everyone seemed to get a little bit up in arms over a report by Ken Rosenthal in The Athletic that the Cincinnati Reds are, quote, open to trading all-star pitcher Sonny Gray. And, oh, man, when when that news hit the wires... As they say, people went crazy because Sonny Gray's great and he's not he's not paid that much. And why would in the world would you trade Sonny Gray and just hammering the Reds for trading Sonny Gray when they haven't actually traded Sonny Gray yet? And it kind of, you know, the discussion centered around why would the Reds do this? Are they starting a new rebuild? And look, if it, if, if it turns out they, they trade Sonny Gray or anyone else uh, as kind of the beginning of, a, of the next rebuild phase i'm going to be the first one here screaming and and, welling and gnashing of teeth uh yelling at the reds about uh, how they've lost our trust but slow your roll chief okay slow down just a minute on this one my constant uh, refrain at all times is that every single red should be available to for trade at all times there are no untouchable players in the Cincinnati Reds organization. None. Now, some players, Sonny Gray included, are going to d- demand a pretty good price to trade him. But if somebody wants to meet the Reds' price and give them a haul in exchange for Gray, you have to be open to consider that because it may improve your uh, roster in um, in multiple ways. So that's why these reports, which are, you know, they shouldn't even be a news story. The Reds are open to trading someone. They should be open to trading everyone in the right deal at all times. I just, I don't understand these. T- and, and a lot of, yeah, yeah. My buddy Bill Lack texted me uh, 
the reason he was irritated about this because he he didn't like these stories just because there's it's a waste of uh, of ink or of uh, digital pixels. You know, it's not saying anything. Why wouldn't the Reds be open to trading Sonny Gray? That doesn't mean that they're you know looking to trade him or they're desperate to trade him. Obviously, he's got a team friendly deal. He's good. They got him for a couple more years. There's no uh, there's no reason to trade him. But the idea that they're open to it. I don't see why that's so controversial at this point. Now, I'll say, again, if they do trade him and they don't get a haul for him or um, if it does kind of indicate or signal a, another rebuild, yeah, that's a, that's a, it's a disaster for Reds fans. But until that happens, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, hammer the Reds for something they haven't done yet, something they haven't screwed up yet. So... You know, uh, I don't think Sunny Gray is going anywhere. If they do, they better have a good reason because they're probably going to lose Trevor Bauer in free agency. They can't afford to lose another pitcher without getting something significant in return. So, yeah, someone once told me, I think it may have been Calvin Coolidge. I need to find out the source of this quote. Uh, maybe it was uh, Teddy Roosevelt. I, I don't know. Some former president said that if you have 10 problems rolling down the road at you, just hang on. Nine of them are going to roll into the ditch before they even get to you. So if you see ten things coming down the pike that, oh, no, this is going to be awful. This could be a big issue. Hang on. Let's let, let's, let's see if it actually happens before we get too upset. I understand why many of you are uh, just see the headline and think, oh, my gosh, here we go again. Because for so long, that's what the Reds did. You know, they would they'd get players and they'd uh, build them up and then trade them off for prospects, quote, unquote, prospects, magical prospects. Uh, you all know my thoughts on the magical prospect. A prospect is only good insofar as uh, he can bring some value to the Major League roster. I'm for trading all of them at all times if it can help your Major League roster. Uh, so, you know, uh, but we had that we had that era where, you know, everybody felt like the Reds were just trading away everybody, that, every good player that they got. That was kind of the hyperbolic response on the Twitters. And it was a, kind of the, some, some of the, you know, yeah, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, uh, we're, we're kind of got uh, still feeling the effects of that era of Reds baseball, and Reds fans want to believe it's the same team. And I, I'm perfectly willing to believe it is. They had last year, really the last two off seasons, they were proactive. But I don't know with the pandemic, and I just don't know where they're going to be this year. And I'm 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 prepared to be disappointed in the Reds this off season. I am prepared to be disappointed, but I'm not going to get too upset at them yet until they actually do screw something up and they really haven't just yet have they i don't think so uh but i like sunny gray can i say that he's my friend all right speaking of pitching in the reds the reds lost an important piece of their uh pitching department quote unquote we've talked a, a lot about the uh how Derek Johnson the Reds pitching coach came over and uh then the Reds hired Kyle Bodie and then it's a big overhaul of pitching in the Reds system and it's a, it's an overhaul that I think is going to bear fruit at some point I am confident about that what they've done and it's already uh born fruit actually we saw just the great pitching this year well, a big part of that was Caleb Cotham who was the Reds uh assistant pitching coach and the director of pitching in the organization well, he's been hired away by the Philadelphia Phillies to be their new pitching coach. And, uh, you know, was he 33 years old or something? You know, it's something crazy like that. Um, and so good for him, you know. Uh, remember Cotham very briefly, very briefly with the Reds. 
came over to the Reds in that uh, Raltus Chapman deal, unless I'm misremembering, and pitched briefly for the Reds. But, you know, he, he played for uh, Johnson at Vanderbilt, who lost uh, in the 2015 College World Series to the Virginia Cavaliers. And uh, you know, he's kind of a protege of Derek Johnson. And smart of the smart of the uh, Phillies to snatch him up because he's seriously a big time up and comer in uh, in baseball. The Phillies, you know, not a great pitching staff, and so he might be able to bring some of the magic that uh, they've worked here with the Reds in the first couple years in town. So good good for Caleb Cotham. I, as a Reds fan, I hate it. I want good people in the organization. I don't want them to leave. You know, Dick Williams. Uh, president of baseball operations. He's a good person. I think he's. I think he did a good job. He's a type of guy that I have a lot of uh, admiration for what he was able to do in the Reds front office, given the constraints on him in the Reds front office. And Cotham's another guy that yeah, you want good people, but uh, when you have good people and you have some success, that's what happens. They get poached by other organizations. So, and what a great opportunity for Caleb Cotham, who went from being a uh, you know a nondescript relief pitcher in the big leagues to uh, really having a, a career, if, if I remember the story correctly, because of Kyle Bode's driveline baseball and has kind of, he's, he's like the new generation of uh, baseball pitching coaches and taking some of the, taking some of the theories that uh, they've been implemented here with the Reds. And, and, you know, you can't keep those guys in house forever. If they, if they're successful, that's actually what you want. You want to be so successful in, in an area that other teams come looking and uh, got to be happy for, for Caleb Cotham. What were you doing when you were 33, those of you who are actually 33 yet? Um, well, actually, I got appointed to be a judge at age 33, which is crazy, but um, that's too young to be a judge, and, but not too young to be a pitching coach, it appears. I just, you know, I guess there are worse, if you had to go to somewhere in the National League, there are worse te- places to go than uh, than Philadelphia, right? I guess, you know, I don't really have much of a, disdain any kind of feeling either way about the about the Phillies. I know they had when growing up they had the one player that I wish was a always wish was a red more than any any other player around the league and that was Mike Schmidt. But uh and then you know they obviously embarrassed the Reds in two thousand ten when the Reds that's a decade ago. Oh my gosh, that's a decade ago. Yikes. Uh I wish I should go back and replay that playoff preview again. Um do a rerun. But uh yeah, they no, and Roy Halladay no hit the Reds in that first game, and it's, but anyway, I don't I don't care. I I wish Caleb Cotham success, just not if they play against the Reds in the World Series, and they're probably going to play against the not the World Series, but in the National Championship Series at some point, right, in the next year or two. All right, uh, other news from the week: the Reds added four players to the forty man roster. Let's talk about uh, that pretty quickly. They uh, this earliest week was the deadline to add players to the forty man roster. Uh, if you want, if you want to protect them from the Rule Five draft, so we're talking about minor league guys that could be uh, selected by other teams if you don't protect them from the Rule Five draft. Um, and the Reds actually only had 32 players on their 40-man roster before they added these players, and they actually uh, added four players. Only three of them from the farm system. So right now the Reds sit at 36 players on the 40-man roster. Uh, which gives them some flexibility, I guess. Now, the ones the Reds uh, are protected from inside the organization were Vladimir Gutierrez, Riley O'Brien, and Jared Solomon. I'll talk about them in just one moment. Right-handed, uh, right-handed pitchers. Um, the other one was uh, Brandon Bailey, 
The Reds acquired Brandon Bailey, another right-handed pitcher, from the Astros for cash considerations. The ever-important cash considerations, and uh, they placed Bailey on the 14 roster as well. I guess I should note that the Reds also got another pitcher from uh, Houston, Freddie Medina, again, a fifth right-handed pitcher. Uh, he's not on the 40-man roster, but he was acquired as uh, the piece that still remained out there when the Reds traded Brooks Raley to the Astros earlier this year. You all remember the short Brooks Raley era? He went on to the Astros, and uh, a player to be named later, Freddie Medina. So let's talk quickly about uh, these players. Not really that interesting to me. Uh, a couple of them are, are, are semi-interesting in terms of being on the 40 roster and having a chance to contribute to the Reds going forward. Vladimir Gutierrez obviously is, to me, the uh, most interesting because I was pretty high on Vladimir Gutierrez before he spent the entirety of the 2020 season uh, suspended for failing a drug test in spring training. So um, his suspension is actually for 80 games, as Doug Gray reports at uh, RedLegNation.com, and he only served 60 of those games obviously, because of the craziness of the season. So he's going to have 20 more to serve next year. But he uh, you know, he made it to AAA Louisville in 2019, which, where he wasn't great. But, uh, you know, he's a guy that there were some reports that maybe uh, the Reds pitching regime had his velocity uh, up. Uh, he already was uh, had a great reputation for his curveball. Big-time talent, this guy. Who knows if he's going to ever be anything, but... Um, he's a, he's a name to watch. He's a name to watch. Uh, Riley O'Brien's the other, and we and we talked about Riley O'Brien earlier because uh, Riley O'Brien's is my favorite Irish pub. That's actually not true at all. Uh, man, that's a good name for an Irish pub, though, like a faux Irish pub in uh, you know some hip new section of town. I don't know. Riley O'Brien was acquired from uh, Tampa Bay. Again, we talked about him on the podcast uh, when the Reds traded Cody Reed to Tampa back in August. And um, uh, he was an eighth-round pick uh, for the Rays back in 2017. And, you know, his numbers look pretty good, you know, in his minor league career. But, uh, you know, I'm just always concerned when you make a trade with the Rays because Tampa Bay knows what they're doing. They don't just trade guys away that have big-time upside. Especially do for Cody Reed, who Cody Reed does have big-time upside, I think. Maybe not big-time anymore, but he has a serious, real upside. So I can see why the, the Rays would be interested. But uh, I don't know. I guess I'm just – I know nothing more about Riley O'Brien other than what his stats say and that the Rays traded him away, which makes me, you know, nervous. Um, Jared Solomon was the third guy from within the organization that the Reds uh, – Added to the 40-man roster. He didn't pitch at all last year because he was a minor leaguer and he wasn't part of the, the catch-up factory player pool out there at Prasco Park. Uh, you know, uh, he's not been above A-ball. And he's been fine just looking at his stats. Uh, Doug Gray would report he was throwing uh, 98 in the Instructional League this year. So, you know, uh, talent. Talent. You don't want to lose a guy like that. Big arm. Uh, just don't know a whole lot about him. And, you know, he's not... He's not been a heralded prospect. Brandon Bailey, the guy that came over from the Astros, only uh, pitched five times for the Strohs this year. Oh, he was fine, seven and a third innings, uh, 2.45 ERA. He's 26, uh, starter in the minors, but uh, and also uh, in the big leagues with the uh, with the Astros. Pretty good numbers. Pretty good numbers. Uh, 
But again, not really a heralded prospect, number 29 prospect for the, uh, from baseball America in uh, 2020. So, you know, uh, whatever, who knows? It's a, it's an arm. And, uh, all those guys are absolutely worth protecting. You don't want to lose any of those guys because you never know when the one's going to, even if they just pan out to be uh, a big, solid, big league reliever, that's, that's valuable. Now we know that we've argued on the podcast that it's been overvalued over the years and it certainly has been overvalued over the years, but uh, you know, you got to have those guys, and they're very important. More now, more than ever, they're actually uh, uh, the value in relief pitchers is never higher um, because so many have to pitch in this day and age. So there you go. The Reds have four more on their uh, forty-man roster, and it's interesting that they only have thirty-six on that roster because I don't know. You know, I mentioned the word flexibility earlier, but I just don't know what the Reds are going to be able to do this off season, but uh, or what they will do, um, what they're going to be willing to do. It's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next few months. Now, uh, the other thing I want to mention is that this week, uh, Korean shortstop Ha Sung Kim um, announced that he is going to be posted, which means teams can uh, can negotiate to uh, to negotiate with him. And um, that's a guy that I really hope the Reds seriously uh, look at. I, they may not get him, but I have to hear the Reds made a big push for him. Because the the talk that he's going to be eight, nine, ten million, and again you don't know because he's coming to the big leagues for the first time, but that seems like a reasonable price to pay for a guy that could be uh, maybe not the answer to the Reds' offensive problems or their and their problems at shortstop, but certainly a uh, a pretty good uh, a pretty good answer. Um, you know, and the other guys that are out there, Marcus Simeon, who I don't trust. You know, he was great in 2019 for the A's, but. I, I just don't. I just don't trust it. I just don't trust it. Uh, maybe he's maybe he's great. Maybe not. Um, it's funny that the there's a piece this week in the New York Daily News where Simeon blamed his uh, bad season on the fact that he doesn't have the greatest uh, workout equipment in his garage. <laughs> I lost some strength because I don't have the greatest equipment in my garage. Come on, man. My garage. I've got more than what you said you have. He said he resorted to. Push-ups and lunges in a friend's backyard batting cage. Come on, dude. You're a big leaguer. You were top three American League MVP race in 2018. So that makes me have some other questions about him, but I don't know. I just... Um, so anyway, the other... Uh, I, I, you know, I forgot to mention about Jared Solomon, actually, now, now that I'm thinking about it. Jared Solomon just placed on the 40-man roster. Uh, found out the day after... That uh, at least the public found out the day after that uh, he's uh, he had some Tommy John surgery, <laughs> so he's going to be out all of twenty thirty one. But again, a big arm, and uh, yeah, you want to you want to protect a guy like that with a big arm because nowadays you come back from Tommy John sometimes better than you were before. Uh, it's not a you know it's not an end of a career anymore. So you know uh, if, if he's got a big enough arm that you think he can help you, I think he I think you hang on to that that guy. All right, so that's pretty much, you know, the news is always going to be slow right around this time. Some players are starting to sign, you know, Charlie Morton, who the Rays let go because they didn't want to pick up his option. He signed with the Braves for, I think, $15 million, which is what his option was for. Um, things are happening, but, uh, you know, uh, it's been slow in Cincinnati, and I hate that. But it is what it is. So uh, that's all for that's all for right now. I think there is plenty to talk about this offseason. I really hope that the Reds are going to give us 
a lot more to talk about. But I'm going to go ahead and jump into this uh, discussion I had with John Majewski. I think you all are going to like him. Uh, he has a, uh, I love conversations like this to talk about uh, be, becoming a Reds fan and, and what it's like to be a Reds fan from far away. That's how Red Lake Nation kind of started, was to try to bring Reds fans across the nation together. And this is a, this is a pretty good one. So hope you enjoy. Hope everyone had a, a great Thanksgiving. Love all of you. Peace out. Really happy to be joined today by a good friend of ours, John Majewski. John is a friend of the podcast at uh, patreon.com and uh, has uh, been contributing to this great community that we have growing up around the podcast. And I'm really excited to get to talk to you today, John. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing uh, well, you know, as well as one can be in, in, in 2020, <laughs> but right. um, it's, it's going fine. Yeah, yeah. A strange year for everyone, no doubt. And... Um, I want to talk to you a little bit, if we could, here, John. First of all, you know, I do appreciate you uh, joining joining the family there at the, at Patreon, and uh, I always like to talk when I, when we have these conversations. I always like to talk about how how'd you become a Reds fan, and uh, everybody seems like they've got their own unique story about that. Certainly, I do as well. That you all have had to listen to on this podcast probably more times than you want to, but but how, first of all, let's tell everybody if you don't mind where where you are located in the country. Uh, so right now I'm uh, living in the Santa Barbara, California area, so yeah. just outside of Santa Barbara, and I've been uh, uh, living in this area for like uh, 20 years or so now. So so not a hotbed of, of Cincinnati Reds fandom. So how'd you become a Reds fan initially? Well, so I was born in Lima, Ohio, there and we go. Uh, lived in Lima until I was um, age nine, and our family moved to Houston. Um, but, um, before my family moved to Houston, um, I was a huge Reds fan. I get so excited to see the Reds on TV. I jump up and down. I was a really excitable kid. And, uh, <laughs> my parents just had to leave the room on occasion. Uh, but I loved the Reds when I was growing up as, as a kid. And the first Reds game I remember, which would have made me eight years old was, uh, 1973, and the Reds were playing the Mets um, uh, for the National League Championship, which the Reds uh, ultimately lost. But I remember uh, some of those games fairly well. And then um, by the time we moved to Houston, it was 1974, and of course, 75 and 76 were the big Red Machine um, years, uh, where you know, well, World Championship years. And I. Uh, was such a Reds fan, I couldn't wait for the afternoon newspaper to arrive so I could catch up on the scores, read the box, uh, uh, read the box scores, read the stories, and um, really intensely followed the Reds. Oh, that's fantastic! That is that's fantastic. So <laughs> let me just, oh my goodness, Th- these conversations always kind of make me a little sad in some ways uh, because. You're talking about your first game. You know, my first game, uh, the, you know, the dumb story that I've told a number of times where, you know, the Wayne Krenchicki story for my first game. Your first game was the 1973 National League Championship Series. <laughs> that great series that's against the, the Mets. Game I, that's the first game I remember seeing on TV. It's like, I remember that. And, and it was, um, and so I was like uh, at, at school and I was at a Catholic um, private school. And so, you know, the age groups were pretty mixed. And the big kids had these transistor radios they were walking around school with listening. And I said, why, what's going on? And, and of course I found out, oh, it's, it's the championship series, it's the Reds. And so I would go home and be able to watch the tail end uh. of the game and just became 
uh, uh, just a huge Reds fan. And, and remember, like following uh, falling asleep with the Reds on the radio. Um, and this is something that continued when we, we moved to Houston and be, uh, obviously became a lifelong Reds fan. And very happy to report that my son is also a huge Reds fan. So oh, what, what, things what, that it influenced my son. Why did you do that to him? <laughs> I, I know. I, I think he, he really regrets it. But uh, but at least he's not a Dodger fan. There you so, go. Exactly. I'll, I'll, yeah, give up that. Yeah, that could be a problem out there uh, in uh, sunny California. You don't want to don't want to lose into one of those teams. But so you, you've described growing up as a Reds fan in a way that yeah, I, I kind of love these, this discussion actually because uh, some of our younger uh, you know uh, friends of the podcast won't really quite understand it because now you know it's so easy to watch the Reds or to follow them. You know, you can listen to them wherever you are in the country or watch them anywhere in the in the world really, and. Um, but you know, I remember falling asleep listening to Marty and Joe on the on the radio, and, and hearing you talk about transistor radios and afternoon papers. It kind of takes you back when you kind of had to work to be a fan a little bit, didn't you, back in the day? Oh yeah, and I tell you what, especially when we were in Houston, when the Reds were on for the game of the week, you know, every Saturday, that was a big deal because you didn't have the opportunity to watch the Reds um, a lot. And uh, so seeing them on national TV was a huge deal and just kind of getting like basic scores that we take for granted, you know, where we get, you know, notifications on our cell phones. Um, I remember like calling in to um, the local Houston newspaper, which had a recorded line where you could get the recorded scores as soon as they came in. Uh, and so all those different ways of, of, of getting information and following the Reds. And uh, I also remember every so often my dad bringing home the sporting news which, um, you know, was just like heaven uh, because it had, you know, so much information and, and so many statistics that were kind of like hard to find in the daily newspapers. Um, and so, yeah, we, there's so much following sports now that, that we take for granted that, um, you know, back in the day in the 70s and, and 80s, it was it, it, it took some work. Yeah, yeah. You know, my son, Big Reds fan as well. So, I, you know, I, I can't I've accused you of something I've done as well. Uh, you know, inflicting this team on him, but yes, uh, you know they've got information coming from every direction. You know, and 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 maybe maybe it's a good thing, I guess. But they'll the, they will never, my son will never understand uh, the the sheer joy of that sporting news showing up and just devouring it cover to cover because you just the information wasn't there at your fingertips, and that this was your your link to the baseball world and and. That that the sporting news in particular, and I've talked about that uh, plenty of times, was so formative for me in, in who I became as a baseball fan, and part of the reason why I got so you know interested in statistics, like you said, you know they got all the box scores and they're and they're all these statistics that you didn't see in the daily paper generally, and I don't know, it, it, following baseball was more uh, kind of in your own head and talking to your friends and family uh, as opposed to now where you watch all the games and then come up with a hot take to toss out on social media you know back then you had to you didn't really know what uh you know mario soto looked like for example necessarily you saw his baseball cards so you saw a picture of him but other than that you right. might get a chance to watch him once a season you know it's just a an entirely different way of following that maybe we're romanticizing it a little bit and uh, showing our age a little bit i guess but i don't know it's it just you had a different relationship with the game back then uh than kids do today and again not for better or for worse i don't know i i would have rather been able to see every game back then but it was just a completely different experience am, am i am i am i saying that correctly 
Yeah, I think you're you're, you're right, and I would. I'm just saying to you, I wouldn't think it's better. I don't think it's worse. It's just it's just different, and um, it's just a different reaction to it. And it just goes to show you too that you know um, what we take for granted today. Um, it, you know, is like if we we can't watch a game on 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 cable or we're we're somehow blocked from it. It's like this big travesty. Whereas. You know, yeah. <laughs> not, not all that long ago, we would have been delighted to be able to watch 140 Reds games, exactly, uh, or whatever it, it may be. And so, uh, it, it is it is kind of like um, a different um, experience. You can become much more immersed in it now, but as a result of that immersion, each individual experience isn't quite as meaningful, isn't quite as significant as it was in say uh, the 1970s. Yeah, I've often thought that, you know, uh, Joey Votto, for example, if he had played in, you know, say the, the 70s or 80s or something like that, that uh, we, we hear all this uh, talk radio and all the, you know, Twitter and all that really just hammering Votto. Ah, he, always, he won't swing it, you know, he strikes out too much, uh, called third strike, and he's just looking for a walk and all, the, all this criticism that I consider kind of kind of dumb, uh, basically. Right. But uh, so much of that is just born out of the fact that we get to watch him every day. You know, we might have had those same complaints about, you know, I don't know, Johnny Bench or Frank Robinson or, you know, Ed Roush way back in the day. We might have had those same, if anybody had been able to watch those guys play uh, very often. So it's led to a more uh, more you know, kind of critical experience as a fan. Too many people want to want to criticize uh, rather than just understanding it's a it's a long season and, and kind of enjoy it for what it is. And enjoy the, the little morsels of games that you actually get to watch. Heck, I'd watch the Kansas City Royals if they were playing just because I wanted to watch a baseball game. You know, just a... So different. Yeah, right, right. It is. It is different, and I think it, 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 it's interesting because I, I think you're you're right. There is much more opportunity to be kind of critical, and and for everyone, you know, when they get mad and angry, you know, which will inevitably happen uh, over the course of a baseball season, you immediately express that, and and kind of like you know, it creates a certain um, atmosphere. I will say though that. Um, with all the advanced stats, you can kind of appreciate a player like Voto in a, a Votto in a different way than we would have in, say, in the 1970s when we didn't have the, um, you know, all the uh, uh, advanced stats and where basically everything was down to average home runs and in, in, in RBI. And so I, I think you're 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 right, but I also think that. Um, all the information that we have at our disposal also creates new ways of us being able to appreciate players that we might not have appreciated um, in the 70s just because we're focused on only a bit the most obvious system. Yeah, you know what? That's a great counterpoint. Uh, Votto uh, would have been less appreciated back then because he didn't have a lot of hits. You know, getting 200 hits was the thing, obviously. And, and on base percentage yeah, wasn't quite as bad. And then lots of home runs mm -hmm. would give you uh, lots of attention, lots of RBIs. But, like, I don't quite remember people appreciating, like, um, on-base average, for example. And, uh, you know, if you go back and look at the, the big red machine, what's really uh, remarkable is that, of course, they had, you know, players with great averages, great home runs, lots of RBIs, but they were also really, really good at getting on base. And I don't think we quite appreciated that um, at the time in the way that we, we can now with um, the way, you know, statistics and, and information have revolutionized. The, the way we, we understand the game. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I've been one to kind of criticize the analytical revolution lately because it's caused the game to become so much less, uh, uh, you know, enjoyable aesthetically just to watch. It's not as much fun to watch, but I think uh, it, it's a good point. You know, Joey Votto is um, probably a Hall of Famer right now, and that's only because we 
understand what he does and how it helps teams win um, and how it helps make teams better more than, you know, say in the 1970s, Votto was not a Hall of Famer. He's, you know, he's he's in the Hall of Very Good probably but because it, it was just kind of obscured how good he is. So maybe from Votto's perspective, we should just appreciate that because uh, we really have gotten to witness something special and we, and we understand it more than we ever would have before. Yeah, no, and I, I, I think that's right. If if baseball writers were voting uh, on him in the 1980s and 1990s, um, I don't think he would he would right. he would get in. I, I feel pretty confident now, um, given his you know advanced metrics, that he'll 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 probably get in the Hall of Fame. Um, and the fact that he has a chance, I think, is because we understand the game differently. And by the way, I also totally agree with you that um, I think for. Each individual team, each individual player, the advanced statistics has been 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 really good, and has been a way to kind of like uh, improve your probabilities of winning. But then it turns out when everyone does it, um, it does make the game a little bit less fun, um, a little less aesthetically pleasing. I think that's a good way of 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 putting it. There was something about the 1970s and 1980s with a lot of emphasis on 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 speed and and stolen bases and defense and all of that, that, um, you know, we kind of like smile at it now, um, boy, they really didn't know the way to win back then. But on the other hand, it, it was, it was kind of like, um, uh, an exciting game. And, you know, moving to the Houston area where I had a chance to watch the Astros a lot, you know, they had kind of like one of these classic speed first teams where they put a lot of emphasis on speed, um, and defense because of the size of the Astrodome at that time. Um, you know, and it was, it was fun, but I understand that, you know, the statistics has changed the game now, but, um, but there's part of me that, that kind of misses, um, you know, the way the game, uh, used to be played. And, and I kind of agree. It's a little less fun now. Um, the way the games just kind of plot along a lot more strikeouts, um, a lot more home runs, but, uh, no less of those other things that, that kind of make the game fun. Yeah, I always feel like an old guy yelling at a cloud when I when I start saying that it was better back in my day. But uh, the players were not better back in my day. But the game was in the ball, they put the ball in play. It was just it was more enjoyable. Now, um, I wanted to ask you, growing up, who was your who was your favorite player, favorite Red growing well, up? Well, so uh, he wasn't, of course, the best player. But in terms of like, there was a certain grace about Davy Concepcion that mm. I really loved, and I just loved watching him play. Uh, he was just so fluid, um, the way he fielded and the way he ran. Um, and he just kind of stood out um, to me as like a particularly um, a graceful um, um, athlete. Of course, I, I loved uh, Joe Morgan. Um, I loved Johnny Bench. Uh, I always thought that Pete Rose was a little bit overrated, even when I was a kid. Very proud of that early <laughs> take. Uh, that was a hot uh, take back then. <laughs> that's that's right because he was um like uh like one of the big stars if not this star right. of, of of the big red machine in a lot of ways um uh but but i would have to say kind of like concepcion was my uh a favorite player i you know i also really liked ken griffey senior in part because i thought he was always the most underrated part yeah. of of a uh, player that that team and i thought he was a really great player and fun to watch as well yeah funny a player like like uh, king griffey could be kind of forgotten uh yeah it's a great long career good player uh, i love that you right. answered uh davy concepcion because that's a new one you, you don't you don't hear very many 
people saying that, oh, David Concepcion was my favorite player. And that's understandable because he played with so many other great players. But think about, you know, the Reds over the last 50 years. And, you know, you've got how many guys spent their whole career with the Reds? And you've got, you know, Votto, you got Larkin, you've got Johnny Bench, you got David Concepcion. I mean, he kind of, uh, he's not a Hall of Famer. Uh, he's close, I think, but he's not quite a Hall of Famer in my book. But still a great, great, great career, long career for the Reds, you know, captain. Uh, got a lot of fond memories of, of Concepcion as well. So I appreciate you giving us an opportunity to talk about Davey Concepcion, who really was kind of a, I mean, he was an all-star, best shortstop in the league, uh, but still kind of a forgotten member of uh, of this team because of so many other legends playing around him. So great player. Yeah, yeah, I know. And what was, what was fun about Concepcion is that, you know, he was on those, uh, obviously, you know, key part of the, the big red machine in the 1970s, but he was also part of the, the kind of like, you know, the a little bit of the 80s Reds, too, um, which and I remember kind of the Reds in the early 80s because their rivals um, were the Astros uh, for some of those um, divisional races. Sure. And so, you know, and living in the Houston area, we've got pretty intense between, um, you know, friends and myself. Uh, over, you know, arguing over the the the, the Reds and the, and the Astros, and so the the fact that Concepcion had that kind of long career, kind of like spanned the entirety of the of the big red machine, um, I think really made him uh, for me a special player. And then just the aesthetics of of, of watching him, um, he always uh, just really stood out for me. Yeah, you know, I uh, I I came along as a, as a Reds fan a little bit after you, just after the the big red machine was a thing. And and you're right, Concepcion was kind of always the bridge. To those teams, uh, I mean, Pete Rose came back, and so he was a bridge as well. But uh, I don't know, Concepcion was just kind of, and, and Tony Perez as well came back. But Concepcion was just the guy; he was always there. He was those through some of those bad teams, and uh, and then ended up with some decent teams at the end of his career with Cincinnati just before uh, just before the World Series team. But uh, always good to talk about Dave Concepcion. Now, what about your what about the current Reds? You got a favorite player on the current day Reds? Oh well, I mean it's uh, hard. I know with you know Jory Votto is is, is um, you know my favorite, and, and you know just in terms of his longevity with the Reds and all that he's done, and he's you know he's a, he's a great player, but also a fun personality, and um, and so I I I've always um, liked him, and you know considered it just like you know, somewhat of a travesty that the Reds haven't been very good for most of his career. I mean, obviously, you know, early in his career, the Reds were, you know, pretty consistent playoff teams. But, you know, of late, uh, obviously, it's been kind of um, difficult. And, and uh, but I've, I've always appreciated um, Votto. And, uh, you know, and also, I I um, I think kind of like if uh, uh, Luis Castillo is another player that I've, I really enjoy this current Reds team just because he's been so good since day one with the Reds. Um, and um, it really, I think, is kind of like um, a, a key part of the pitching staff. You know, it has been for a while, and, and I hope that he will continue to be for the rest of his, his career. But um, those two in, in particular stand out to me. Yeah, yeah, good choices. You know, Castillo, uh, you talked a little bit about uh, Concepcion and the way he played. Uh, as was the reason that you, he appealed to you early on. Castillo's the the one guy on this team that I really don't want to miss a single pitch. You know, uh, some of the hitters. Yeah. I like. I love watching Vado do work his magic. I like watching uh, all the players, frankly. Um, but 
Castillo is the one guy where you're just like something magical can can come out of his arm at any moment. Uh, he's just uh, I expect him to put together a season, maybe not quite like Trevor Bowers, but at some point I expect him to have a season where he is just completely dominant. He's I, I, yeah, I would have thought he would have the best chance of winning a Cy Young Award of any of any Red since I guess Cueto. Um, but uh, that's another guy that I can't I can't talk about enough. I love that guy, and I hope he's a Red for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah, and, he, he, and, and um, I, I agree with you. He just has so many tools with 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 the fastball and the changeup, and it seems like the slider is getting better every year. Um, you know, no, and it seems like now he's he's um, you know twenty eight. He's getting the heart of his prime. Um, I, if he avoids injury, I, I think you're right. He definitely has that potential to become kind of that uh, Cy Young Award winner, which is why I think kind of like, you know, if I understand the Reds are kind of, you know, probably going to be reducing payroll, not re-signing Bauer, but um, I would love to have Bauer back, but the fact that we have guys like um, Castillo and Gray at the top of the rotation who are capable of having those really um, big years, you know, I still think we'll, our starting rotation in particular will be... Um, uh, you know, among the best in, in the National League. And Castillo is a big reason because of that. Yeah, yeah, it'll soften the blow a little bit if if the Reds do, in fact, find themselves unable to re-sign Trevor Bauer. So uh, right. let me ask you this. Obviously, we started out by saying 2020 is such a strange year, but what, what, were, what was your take on the uh, on the 2020 Reds? What are, your, what are your thoughts on how the season went and how it ended? And uh, any any particular thoughts about this past year's team before we talk about what to expect from next year's team? Yeah, um, I guess one word was frustrating. You know, for the last two weeks of the season, just immensely frustrating. I thought this team had much more potential um, than it showed. Uh, just real, you know, and just really inconsistent, particularly when it came, you know, to to, to hitting. Um, the last two weeks of the season were, were fantastic. And, you know, I wasn't. As disappointed as I sense a lot of Reds fans were with the Braves series, the way I look at it, we're like a sacrifice fly away from taking the Braves to a third game and um, where we would have had the better starting pitcher um, um, that game. It turns out the Braves have a really, really, really strong team. So um, I I felt like it was a frustrating season, but redeemed significantly in those last two to three weeks. And... um, uh, you know, I'm pretty optimistic about um, heading into to 2021. Um, and part of that optimism is, is, is that I think um, the Reds still have some upside with their pitching staff, um, what they've been able to do with uh, their pitch coaching um, seems to be like totally um, exceptional and gives them a significant kind of competitive um, advantage. Um, and I think the rest of the division is sufficiently weak that uh, I think over the next couple of years, the Reds will be kind of continuous in the division. I don't think they'll be close to the Dodgers. I don't think they'll be close to the Braves or the Padres. Um, but the Reds will be in the mix for the for the playoffs to be competitive. And and um, I think they'll win. I, I, I think they'll be in the mix for kind of a division title. And so um, wish we could be the Braves, wish we could be the Dodgers um, or the Padres. Um, but probably not but at the same time they'll be um a competitive team that i I think will be fun to follow wow loving this optimism really you 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 feel good about this team uh going forward let's talk about specifically about 2021 
I mean, uh, yeah. there's some holes to be filled. I, I, I can't disagree with anything you're saying necessarily. The pitching's in decent shape. A lot's going to depend on if they can do anything this offseason to fill some of these holes. But uh, uh, what do you think? Are you comfortable with uh, Tyler Stevenson at catcher and Jose Garcia at shortstop going to next year if, they, if they're unable to sign anyone else or trade for anyone else? Stevenson much more so than Garcia. Uh, Garcia just doesn't, I mean, it's like not a newsflash, but he just, he just wasn't ready. He was overmatched, um, yeah. Uh, he's a kid. Well, yeah, last year. And, and and I'm not sure he's going to be ready this year. I, it's, it's really, really um, um, hard to say. So I'm kind of like optimistic about the Reds. Not so much that the Reds are, are going to improve or be like really, really good, but just relative to the rest of the division. And part of the optimism is, is that I don't think the Cardinals are going to get any better. I think probably the Brewers are not going to get any better. The Cubs seem to be, you know, prepared to lose a lot of their players um, very quickly to free agency. Um, and the Pirates are the Pirates. And so even though I think the Reds have significant holes, um, um, even though I think the pitching will not be quite as good in 2021 as it was um, this past year, um, I still think the Reds are better um, than a lot of the other teams in the division. And it seems like all the clubs in the National League Central are kind of like cash-strapped right now um, for different reasons. And um, and I think the Reds are just in better shape to kind of, with the strength of their starting pitching and the strength of the bullpen, to kind of weather those kind of holes in the lineup than um, some of the other teams in the division. Well, it's interesting, and I can't necessarily argue with anything you're saying, but it also kind of circles back to one of my major frustrations here. And, and some of this is just uh, getting frustrated in anticipation of something not happening, which I've always cautioned against. Don't get mad at the Reds, you know, for something that hasn't happened yet. You know, if you think they're not going to do something, wait, wait until they actually don't do, don't do it and, and before you get mad. But uh, I'm just, I don't see them, I see no indication that they're going to be willing to spend any money. And that's kind of the point that I made in something that I wrote uh, a while back, which is just that, man, right now this winter would be the perfect time to spend money. Now, again, I don't know what the uh, bottom line says, and it's easy for me to spend Bob Castellini's money, but that's your market inefficiency. If they could, Because of the things that you're saying, and everything you're saying about the other teams in the division is absolutely spot on, in my opinion. Uh, but given that the other teams in the division are kind of in tough spots themselves, this would be the one time with you know the market perhaps depressed a little bit to really be proactive, really be aggressive, and try to bring uh, some, some people in to fill in these holes and make a real run at it. You're right. They're not going to catch the they're not going to catch the Dodgers in terms of, you know, over a 162-game season. Uh, it's right. difficult for the Reds to put together a team that's going to be better than the Dodgers are going to be. But they can still put together a team that's the second, third, fourth best team in the league. And if you're that, you've got a real chance of winning the World Series. You just do. How many times have we seen it? You know, the, the Dodgers have been the best team for a while now, and they haven't, got, and they haven't gotten a World Series until uh, this year. So um, I, I don't disagree with anything you're saying. I just I, I look at it as, well, you know, Let's not say, and again, and it's just you and I, a couple of yahoos talking about it, so we don't have any decision. I'm not making any decisions here, but, um, but you know, in, in the front office, I'd rather I want them to be like, I, I want I don't want them to think, well, you know, what? we're going to be okay, even if we can't do anything, we're going to be okay because everybody else is kind of. I want them going out and saying, oh, here's our opportunity, and the Reds have never yeah. been like that is it for since you know. Uh, since the big red machine, really, you know, but that's that's my dream. I, I can dream here on my own podcast, can't I, John? You you can dream, and I would encourage it. And I have had dreams of like, hey, even if the Reds feel that they can't increase payroll, I think there's some players they could trade away, 
And even if they got nothing in return for those players, if they could use some of those savings to sign the right kind of free agent, um, that would improve the team a lot. Like if the Reds had like an, a true all-star hitter, like, like a George Springer, um, he could really solidify that lineup. And, and so they, they, they won't be able to fill all the holes, but if you have like that one really, really star hitter that can kind of uh, make make up for the holes in their lineup, and I think that's what kind of killed them in 2020. They had a, you know, a lot of very good hitters, some holes in the lineup. And you and Jason talked about this in, in the last pod, podcast, um, that it just lets a lot of inconsistencies. And so they really need the big bat. And I would hope that the Reds could somehow, um, even if it meant trading away some of the current players um, uh, to free up some payroll, um, it would be worth it to find that, that big consistent bat. And there, the opportunities to do so are there, but um, they, they just have to have a, a, have a certain willingness. And this is the thing about the Reds, um, front office if they haven't had that willingness and i would say that most reds fans for good reason have like you know a, a very like low trust view <laughs> of front office i can't imagine um, why and i think yeah i can't imagine why it was partially corrected last year when they finally spent some money but, um and then the world shut down like that, yeah and then the world shut down and we don't know what would have happened um, in a in a more normal environment, but yeah, it, it, it's like the, there are definitely those um, um, opportunities. But they, they they really need that that big hitter, and, and you know maybe it will develop internally. You know maybe like um, if if Nick Senzel finally reaches his full potential, or Jesse Winker takes another step forward. Um, but in those cases, you're you're kind of like hoping. And uh, as I've been you know told by one uh, uh, podcaster. Hope is not a strategy. So <laughs> exactly. I don't, I don't know what, what we're going to do. Proof that you've been listening, I'll tell you. I love it. Uh, <laughs> now, I want to touch on one other thing here before we uh, before we kind of start wrapping this thing up. But um, for for those of us who've been Reds fans for a, a, some period of time, going back to the, uh, the years when Jim Bowden was the general manager, there's just one name that always just kind of bugs all of us. And the Reds traded Austin Kearns way back in the day. Do you remember this trade? I remember the trade. <laughs> Who was the pitcher with the sore arm that they got out of that trade? What was his name? Uh, Gary Majeski, <laughs> I think is how he said his name. Right, Majeski, not Majuski. Spelled the same though, That's man. Right. What a what a right. you know what a what a cross to bear as a Cincinnati Reds fan to have that name. <laughs> no wonder you pronounce it yeah, differently. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. But I would just humbly point out that that. Um, Gary Majeski was not the number one prime target of that trade. He was kind of the second guy. It was Bill Bray, I think. He was the primary relief pitcher that the Reds were on. Uh, and he was effective, yeah, for a little while. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a total overpay for the Reds for kind of like, you know, two middle reliever types. That, that like the trade itself um, um, did make um, all that much sense. Um, but I just want to say that it was Bray, he was the number one target of that trade, and, and, and not uh, a Majeski. Yeah, they also got a, a washed-up shortstop, Royce Clayton, if you remember that, for half a year of him. But Bill Bray, of course, went... Yeah, and the Reds traded their own shortstop in that in that deal, too. All-star shortstop. an all-star. Yeah, Felipe yeah. Lopez. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Jim Bowden. I'll say this for that trade. Bill Bray... 
after he left baseball, he ended up going to uh, law school at uh, the same uh, law school, the alma mater of one Chris Garber, author of The Big 50. The Men and Moments wow. of Business and Reds, yeah. And, and, and Bill Bray's now a, uh, a player agent. So, oh, wow. And so did, did Chris uh, end up knowing uh, Bray in law school, or, or did they go at different times? Yeah, different times. Yeah, yeah. Chris is okay. an old, old, old soul. So uh, Bray more recently <laughs> went to law school. So, but right. uh, yeah, we went to uh, William and Mary, William and Mary Law School. So good law school for Bill Bray, and that's where Bill Bray had actually played baseball in college. So he went back there for law school. Okay. Now a player agent. So that's a little little fun fact for you there. Since we're stuck on the right. the Gary Majewski trade. <laughs> that's right. Did you pronounce your name Majewski until that trade? <laughs> no, our family has always been okay. Majewski. So, so I'm, I, I, uh, but that would have been good reason to change the pronunciation of the name. That's for sure. <laughs> it would have been, John. Uh, what you know? Uh, as I said earlier, I really appreciate you um, being a part of the family there at Patreon, and and here uh, you know you're on the podcast. So what, what what do you want to talk about? Anything else you want to talk about before we wrap this thing up? Um, no, I think that's that's that's. Well, I want to bring up one topic and. And sure. I would want to get your opinion on. Sure. And uh, I this follows the conversation um, uh, from the last podcast on like what went wrong with the Reds hitting in, in 2020. And obviously we know they had the two holes at, at uh, shortstop and catcher. And I know the analytics don't attach a lot of importance to like stolen bases and speed, but it strikes me that the Reds are like we're a uniquely bad base running team in 2020 and and that when you got so few hits as the red state um that um being atypically slow on the base pass was was um costly for them and you can make an argument that it really cost them in the playoffs a couple times they might have scored sure. uh on on bases but didn't so what's your what's your, what's your take I'm not, I mean, I'm not obviously calling to bring back billy hamilton or or why not or to for the reds to run more um but uh, it just seems to me that if, if uh, that that this is the reason why I think kind of like having a Nixon cell in the lineup um, might be really helpful to the Reds, just in kind of improving um, overall speed, but also just just base running, which just struck me as kind of abysmal um, for for most of the year, twenty twenty. Yeah, you know, I think you you do have a point there, but let me begin by saying that actually someone made that point to me. Um late in the season and I went and looked up again and you never know how much to trust these stats in this short season, you know, small sample size, but the right. uh, uh, fan graphs has a base running stat and, and, and they pull out the, the team stats there and they read the right middle of the pack. And so I, I, I okay. wonder uh, in terms of, of base, running, I wonder, well, maybe it's just because they weren't on base very often that it stood out more to us, but there's no question in my right. mind that they were really bad on the base pads and just like they were really bad defensively. And I think kind of where you're going uh, or where your comments lead me anyway, are this is not a particularly athletic team at all. I mean, right. uh, up and down the lineup, who are the athletes? Senzel? Yeah. Um, Castellanos is not a bad athlete. What else you got? I mean, you know, Mustakas, he's not exactly a, you know, uh, going to be uh, <laughs> right. winning any foot races with cheetahs. Um, all right. He's not a decathlon candidate, I would say. Right. Vado, Winker, you know, I mean, uh, it's it's not exactly, and even Suarez is not, you know, he's not, I mean, he's adequate athletically, but he's not a, a specimen. And it's a really kind of a plotting team, which is maybe what a lot of teams are looking for this, these days, you know, based uh, station to station, you know, 
home run or nothing here right. on home run derby. But I, I can't help but believe that the Reds scored fewer runs this year because of that, which, you know, along with bad base running, it falls right in there. And and then there's the, the awful defense that we saw all year long. How much of that is because right. of the lack of athleticism? Is that somewhere the Reds need to be upgrading? And, and yeah, I think we've I think we've come to a conclusion here, which is yes, you we need to get Billy Hamilton back. Clearly, <laughs> that's always the answer. That's always the answer, no matter what the question <laughs> is, right? That's right. All right. Um, so, how many uh, championships are you predicting for the Reds in the next three years? In the next three years, well, I I will be a pessimist and say only two. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. John, man, I've really gotten a kick uh, out of talking to you here, and uh, we really need to do it again. This, this was fun, and so uh, so maybe at some point we'll catch up again uh, really soon. And uh, and I just appreciate you being part of the part of the family, and uh, thanks so much for for coming on and talking to me. All right, well, thank you, Chad. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.